Hi, listeners. This is Dr. Karen Liller, and I'm proud to introduce our Activist Lab Advocation Change It Up podcast series on occupational health and safety. Learn from the experts of the Sunshine Education and Research Center of the University of South Florida College of Public Health about their research, advocacy, and work with students to improve work conditions for all. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to Advocation Change It Up, a new podcast series hosted by Dr. Karen Liller, a professor at the USF College of Public Health and director of the Activist Lab. Hello and welcome to Advocation Change It Up, the podcast series of the University of South Florida College of Public Health Activist Lab. I'm Dr. Karen Liller, a professor at the College of Public Health and director of the Activist Lab, and I'm joined by one of our student advisory board members, Milenia Mungia. Hi, Milenia. Hi. <laughs> Milenia is also one of our new graduate assistants in the lab. The Activist Lab at the college prepares our students to be exemplary advocates and leaders in public health. And if you just Google us at our website, you'll see all the educational programs we do. We have boot camps, seminars, we do research on a variety of public health topics, and advocacy and work to assure students have practice experiences in the community, at the state, and national levels. This podcast involves talking with public health leaders and advocates whose work has led to great improvements in public health. We'll be talking in each podcast with a guest on a particular public health issue, and we'll end each podcast by asking how we as the community can advocate for change. Today, I'm very excited to introduce our first podcast for our new Occupational Health and Safety podcast series. As we all know, work and work conditions are so important for the population's health. Individuals spend so much time at work, it is critical that they work in safe conditions. Today, I'll be talking with our guest, Dr. Tom Bernard, a professor in the USF College of Public Health and someone I've known for quite a long time. Dr. Bernard is director of the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health sponsored Sunshine Education and Research Center. The purpose of the ERC, as we like to call it, is to promote graduate training and research related to occupational health and safety. It provides well-trained graduates to meet the demand for a professional occupational health and safety workforce for federal, state, and local government agencies, for not-for-profit agencies, for industry, academia, business, healthcare, and labor organizations. Occupational health and safety professionals are a necessary part of programs designed to protect the health and well-being of working men and women, a fundamental purpose of the Occupational Safety and Health Act. The Sunshine ERC is one of only 18 NIOSH ERCs nationwide. And with respect to his research, Dr. Bernard's interests include the evaluation and control of heat stress and strain and ergonomics. So how are you, Dr. Bernard? Hey, I'm great. I'm wonderful, and it's, I'm looking forward to uh, our chat. Oh, we are too. So may I call you Tom? Absolutely. <laughs> so Tom, let's orient the listeners to the ERC, how it functions, and what it includes. Okay, love to do that. And I'm gonna I'm going to start off at the thirty thousand foot level and just kind of drop on down if you don't mind. Sure, absolutely. So the Occupational Safety and Health Act that you mentioned was uh, was uh, passed by Congress in 1970 and signed by uh, President Nixon. Uh, it 
did three things. It created the Occupational uh, Safety and Health Administration, which is enforcement, created the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics, which helps us a lot with the epidemiology of occupational safety and health, and then NIOSH, the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health. Um, NIOSH has really three missions. One is uh, to do training, in particular professional training. Uh, the, the second is to uh, do research that um, then uh, can provide in its third function a foundation for recommending standards uh, to OSHA. Um, NIOSH is um, is really uh, a prevention-oriented organization, and it is located in the CDC, which is pretty appropriate for having a prevention mandate. Now, part of the professional training is that they will fund academic training programs, ERCs, and then other smaller programs. So within the Sunshine ERC, uh, we have six academic programs across three universities and four colleges at USF. So that's a really kind of uh, nice deck to, to, of cards to play with. Uh, within the College of Public Health, we have um, the Occupational Exposure Science uh, degree, which is uh, an engineering focused uh, prevention uh, perspective uh, for, for protecting workers. Uh, also within um, the um, College of Public Health, we have an online uh, master's degree that is uh, focused on a, on a broad base of, of uh, environmental health in addition to um, occupational health and uh, safety. So those are two with strictly within the College of Public Health. Then we have an occupational medicine residency where the didactics are in the College of Public Health and the clinical experiences are in the College of Medicine. Uh, in a similar way, we have a collaborative arrangement with the College of Nursing so that we provide um, supportive training to an occupational health nursing program. And, uh, and then within USF uh, College of Arts and Sciences, we have an occupational health psychology program. Mm -hmm. So you can see just within USF the kind of um, mix of discipline. Right. Quite a range. And then, yeah, it is. And then we go to the University of Central Florida for a targeted research training program. And this is really an interventions-focused uh, academic program. And they have a special interest in uh, hospitality workers, which are really a vulnerable population. Mm -hmm, sure. And uh, we're beginning more during the, uh, the COVID pandemic to appreciate hospitality, among others, as, as being a, um, really a, 
uh, a demanding occupation. And then finally, we have an occupational safety management program at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. And they provide a kind of now different twist on safety with the emphasis in aviation. So we think that we've really put together a group of academic programs that um, really meet the, um, the, the needs of workers. Um, then within uh, the ERC, we also have outreach. Mm-hmm. Uh, this includes continuing professional education, uh, as well as uh, 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 like conference or training activity to, to support the uh, UCF effort in hospitality. And uh, we've also worked with the University of Puerto Rico on hospitality and disaster resilience, all under outreach. And then the, uh, the, the ERC is, uh, provides research training or at least a research experience uh, in order to round out the, um, the um, experiences that our trainees will get. And a key element of the ERC is it's interdisciplinary. In other words, there's a reason why we have all mm-hmm. of these different programs under one umbrella, and that's so everybody can learn about everybody uh, else's uh, discipline and and uh, and begin to be able to communicate well, and then ideally actually share and this kind of transdisciplinary experience of addressing uh, problems. Try to facilitate that as much within their training and then prepare them when they go Mm -hmm. out into their careers. Um, And then we also collaborate with other NIOSH-supported centers, which are not only ERCs, but agriculture and uh, construction and total worker health so that this sharing and interdisciplinary interaction is even broader. Mm-hmm. So interesting, so can, yeah, you know. It, and, it is. And you've had it for so many years, right, Tom? How many years again? We have, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's gone in 1995 <laughs> uh-huh. is when we first had it, so it's going on 16 years. Right, right. And at USF, one of the longest running centers, right? If, from what I understand, and um, it's also been um, really well funded. So um, I've it's had, been, yeah, I've had the opportunity to work a little bit with it this last few years, and I find it so interesting. the um, The range of individuals is amazing, and they seem to accomplish more and more each year. They do, and part of that is the, is the, uh, the the feedback and direction that you help provide in your role in the evaluation oh, of the centers. We do appreciate that. Thank you. So, Milenia, questions for Tom? Yeah. Uh, hi, Dr. Bernard. Um, so, Dr. Lear kind of touched on it. What do you think are some of the ERC's greatest accomplishments so far? Well, you know, if we look to the kind of recent experience, I think we were very responsive during the uh, the COVID response. The uh, the clinicians, in a very direct way, uh, immediately went in and supported the uh, the, the treatment of patients. Uh, they also set up uh, programs uh, for the protection of staff. Uh, 
We've had a couple of our nurses really have a significant impact on hospital practices. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a similar way, the physicians have helped support um, the occupational um, uh, medicine practices within uh, healthcare uh, providers and other employers. Uh, the occupational health psychology uh, people, both at the University of Central Florida and at USF, uh, have looked at the uh, unique challenges of uh, remote work and uh, and interventions there. And uh, uh, and as uh, Dr. Liller knows well, is that. Um, they developed some uh, intervention programs as well as uh, now putting together advocacy for mm-hmm. preparing for the future. Mm-hmm. So I think the ERC has really um, stepped up quite well. Any other questions right now, Melania? Uh, I do have another one. Are there any current projects you want to highlight, Dr. Bernard? Oh, well, the, again, the activities on the stress of workers uh, during this um, rapid transition to remote work, um, we held um, a training and outreach program for teachers uh, to help with stress management that was a collaborative arrangement with NIOSH. Uh, and the University of Central Florida and USF um, that we're proud of. I think we'll talk a little bit more about heat stress, mm-hmm. which is a, more of an ongoing project that, that I think has been satisfying. Thanks, Melinia. So, Tom, as you mentioned heat stress, could you tell us a little bit more about this research? Because I think it's fascinating. Um, Everybody's worried about heat now and heat stress, especially as people talk about climate change. What are some of the new findings and how does heat stress affect work injuries and deaths? Oh, yeah. This is, (laughs) you know, and I'm beginning to appreciate how complicated a problem heat stress is. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) guide me as I wander through all of the issues. Um, So first of all, it it clearly uh, heat stress uh, causes heat related disorders. Mm -hmm. And the one we fear most is heat stroke. So this is really an emergency situation. And unfortunately leads to fatalities. So among health hazards as opposed to uh, safety hazards, heat stress is one of the few health hazards that has such an immediate acute effect. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and because everybody's used to heat in their everyday experiences, mm-hmm. they underappreciate what that uh, real uh, risk is. Um, so this is, a, I think, a, a, I've gone into that we may loop back to. The, um, but it's clear that it, it's related to heat, and we've had a lot of evidence that when it's hot, you have heat-related disorders. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Dr. Jimena Garzon, uh, who um, uh, worked with us, uh, is... Uh, uh, looked at the illness and injury data 
for the uh, Deepwater Horizon workers Mm -hmm. and found that that risk for heat-related disorders increases with heat. And that confirms what the military found with Marine Corps recruits. Mm -hmm. So it's not only that if it's hot, there's a binary kind of thing, but that, but but as we would expect, as the temperatures or the heat stress goes higher, mm-hmm. that risk, in fact, increases. And then the other that we found is that that's also true for acute injuries, which which really, speaking, accidents. Um, now. Uh, that was not as well articulated previously, mm-hmm. but uh, other investigators have now found uh, how important that is. So we um, heat stress not only leads to heat-related disorders, it leads to accidents. Uh, good evidence coming uh, about the, to the extent that it affects productivity mm-hmm. and likely the quality of work. Mm-hmm. So it's got a lot of ramifications. So that's some of the research that we've been involved in and in some areas led it. Um, the other is uh, we're looking at the, uh, the value of uh, climatization and, and uh, how much of an effect it has on the ability to tolerate heat. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a master's student who finished his thesis on looking at how we can look at complex exposures and, and how reliable are the methodologies. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we've also uh, are evaluating the validity of different uh, heat stress exposure metrics. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the current activities. Yes, Melanie, any questions? Yeah, uh, so Dr. Bernard, do you think employers in general have made enough efforts to prevent heat stress among their employees? Yes. So the answer is yes, and then the answer is no. Um, the, the, so the, the, the yes part is I was just remarking to somebody the other day that, you know, when I look simply at my consulting business, that when I started this 30 years ago, um, is that I almost everything was in manufacturing. And what mm-hmm. I've noticed now is almost everything is outdoor work. And mm-hmm. the epidemiology really is supporting that, 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 it's, that the issues now are uh, outdoor work. And, and my hypothesis on that one is that, that the manufacturing have known about it, have been dealing with it for a long time. And, that, and, and the outcomes are evidence, you know, that almost all of them will have a sophisticated heat stress program. Mm-hmm. Outdoor workers have a couple of problems uh, and then don't have as, as good a program if they have any at all. Uh, they tend to be small from a health and safety perspective. They're not as sophisticated uh, and, um, and they work with a fundamentally different worker population. So we have a lot of issues uh, that really says this is where we need to be moving to to start to address heat stress. Very good. So Tom, um, in terms of advocacy, what are you advocating for in occupational health and safety and especially heat stress? And how can we as a community help advocate for change? Because we can always do better here, right? Yes, we can. So let me me break that down into 
two parts, okay. and, and one's the advocacy. And um, I've worked with the uh, ACGIH, which is a professional association uh, uh, that uh, that has exposure guidelines, and the whole approach really relies on a very sophisticated understanding of, of heat stress mm-hmm. and how to manage it. So it's that old history we have that you have a, a trained professional industrial hygienist or safety person mm-hmm. or, or a clinical person. Um, what we're beginning to, uh, and the ISO comes with that kind of same underlying assumption. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's clear is that the people responsible for providing health and safety uh, to these outdoor populations don't have that same level of uh, of understanding of, of heat stress and, and really just the the background and training that mm-hmm. that uh, that we're used to assuming. So, so from an advocacy point of view, it's now trying to understand what it is we really need to achieve in a very simple commu- way that's easily communicated mm-hmm. and uh, to a less sophisticated audience. Um, and so building that story and then helping to deliver that message, I think is critical. And I'm learning that kind of the hard way, if mm-hmm. you will. Mm-hmm. I've been involved with, uh, for instance, the uh, hate stress standard by the state of Washington. And it, it requires a, uh, a moderate, I think, understanding of heat stress. Now working with the uh, state of Virginia, uh, I'm, I'm beginning to see that as we work with stakeholders, that in fact we can't even assume those kinds of levels. So we have to start making decisions about, you know, where, where do we really focus on an intervention that'll be effective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so in terms of advocacy, I, you know, you can advocate for heat stress in some sort of abstract way, right? but that doesn't provide anybody with an answer. I right. think coming in with a way of being able to say, I think we might have, you have a problem and I think we might have an answer that actually mm-hmm. helps you. Mm-hmm. And these standards would be a, a way to go, do you think? Because I see you're working with the standards, yeah. Yeah, standard serves. So this is where you're going to see me. If you talk to me in an hour, I will have changed my mind. (laughs) But, But as I talk to you this moment, you know, a standard that we would propose is something that serves notice mm-hmm. that you really need to be paying attention. Mm-hmm. That that this is serious. It 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 kills people, and we're not addressing it well. Right. But but what happens is that we start working with a a, a different approach and different assumptions. Um. In the classic industrial hygiene approach, we understand the problem thoroughly and we, we develop a set of, of uh, interventions that, that cover a broad range of ways of reducing the, the heat level of heat stress. Mm-hmm. I think what we're now doing is, is beginning to appreciate there's just some basic things. We, we need people to understand the seriousness of heat 
Um, we need for them to then to, uh, you know, provide that training on what people can do to help reduce their risks. But the other piece of this is to develop um, an emergency response and first aid plan mm-hmm. and, and really push for the early recognition and early first aid for heat-related illnesses. And then most importantly, recognize heat stroke, which is often fatal and doesn't need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have early recognition and then early intervention uh, with first aid, and this is really a radical, not a radical thought. I mean, the, the military does it and understands it in sports events. Uh, appreciate that when you uh, have an early recognition of heat stroke, you do very, very aggressive cooling, mm-hmm. like throw them into an ice water bath right. and reduce their temperature and then call emergency services and get them transported to a hospital. And where we see the problem is that uh, people don't do that. They, they might send their worker home or they might send them to some uh, you know, not uh, you know, side away from the work, and tell them the rest, and now they're alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And and this is where we find then that uh, that uh, the people uh, succumb to to that illness and and, and die. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we clearly know we can save lives with immediate and aggressive cooling and then get them transported. So, so uh, you know, a real part of the advocacy is to alert people that this is serious mm-hmm. and there are things that you can do. Mm-hmm. So it's a communication message, it sounds like, for advocacy. And also I would think in the state of Florida where we are with the migrant farm workers, this is a really serious issue. It, it, it is. Um, and in terms of the numbers of people involved, it's construction. Mm, but in yes. terms of the rate of incidences, it is farm workers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the population of farm workers is smaller, but the risk is higher. Right. The rates are higher. Right. Um, and so it is communications. Uh, and it's, uh, it's policy setting at the state level that really serves notice. We think this is important. You need to address it. Mm-hmm. And then it's the education outreach issues that to get people to begin to to uh, implement mm-hmm. policies, workplace policies that will uh, address this. Right. And then for worker, you know, migrant workers are a vulnerable population Absolutely. for many reasons. You appreciate better yes. than I. <laughs> and but but the. Um, the other is that they do piecework, mm-hmm. and that is one of the most important predictors for somebody having a heat stroke, because they'll they'll choose to ignore their signs and symptoms sure. in order to continue to, to work, going. and that's just a bad choice. Yeah, so it's a really really complicated issue. Um, it, it it is. It really is, and but you know. Tom, at the community level, if you had advocates, what would you be asking them to do besides the communication and if these standards get passed? Um, what can they do? Should they be talking to businesses or, or what do you think? 
Sure. Um, you know, the, in some regard, the community ought to just simply know because mm-hmm. heat strokes don't occur only occupationally. Mm-hmm. So it, it's good to alert the community. But then, the key, then you know, to the extent that when you're alerting the community, you're alerting you know, you 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 meet somebody who's a farm worker. You right. can begin to say, "Did you know? I've heard that." Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. there's that education, uh, and it's the same thing. Um, if yeah. you meet an owner or a supervisor, they say, "Yeah, you know, I uh, I'm uh, I help uh, broker uh, workers for construction or uh, right." Uh, farm working you can say well geez you know do you give your workers a heads up is there any requirement for that or is there like posting of signs or warnings or anything in the area yeah so there isn't in the absence of having either a state or uh, a federal Mm -hmm. statute yeah uh there isn't yeah so you know we work on what's good practice Mm -hmm. and and it's less you can think literally that, yeah, you ought to post a sign, right? Mm-hmm. That's the conventional way of, of good practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but for heat, it's, um, it, it, it is in some ways, uh, some, posting something more than this is the heat stress area, right? Right. It's, it, it's, it's the kind of communications that tells you, and these are what you can do to protect yourself mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. others. Mm-hmm. And in heat stroke, you're you're really depending upon others because you're you you can't self rescue mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. during heat stroke. You can self rescue rescue for heat exhaustion or other things, mm-hmm. but th- that's now out of your hands when you have that loss of. Uh, cognitive ability right. as well as possibly physical ability during a heat stroke. Right. And I think with climate change, this is only going to get worse, right? Because as we get oh. hotter and hotter and not in, not only just in the southern states, but in a variety of states, I mean, this is just going to yeah. get worse and worse. So let me tell you all the complicating features of that. So <laughs> it, it, it it is going to bring more workers under that umbrella of heat stress. Mm-hmm. But what what climate change complicates is, first of all, it's uh, an instability. So you're going to see a lot of heat waves. Mm-hmm. So, that, so, so that that weather will change quickly. It can change within a day. Um, the other is that to the extent that that heat wave becomes sustained like it is in the Northwest. Mm-hmm. Or fighting fires, Absolutely. you know, the, the secondary California. outcome of that, yeah. yeah, is the carryover effect um, that that heat, a high level of heat stress on the preceding day mm-hmm. uh, accentuates the risk mm-hmm. on the day of. And in fact, NIOSH, um, uh, looking at the emergency department uh, admissions, would actually argue I think reasonably well that that carryover effect goes out three or possibly four days. So that becomes a really complicating problem. Very complicated. So um, 
I'd like to now ask our student, Millennia, she's a little bit younger than us, Tom, <laughs> what are the feelings yeah. of students on this topic and occupational health and safety? You know, work is going to become very important to her generation, and it's been important to all generations, I think. But young individuals lately have been the drivers of so much public health advocacy and change, whether that be racism or gun violence. But what about the workplace? Millennia, how can students be instrumental and critical to this advocacy that Dr. Bernard has discussed? Yeah, I think the first thing would be getting to know more about occupational health and environmental mm-hmm. hazards. I mm-hmm. think that's a great way to start, especially because the general or in general students don't really know about that unless they're public health students. Right. So I think that's really helpful. Uh-huh. And there's already been great progress in environmental justice. So I think I think that can also mm-hmm. be a bridge to tackling these problems. Um, like heat stress and other occupational hazards because even though people may not realize, they're definitely interconnected. Right. Um, especially now that so many students are graduating and entering the workforce, they can also bring issues like occupational health to their employer's awareness. Mm-hmm. So they can do that by asking questions like what efforts are they mm-hmm. doing to support occupational health? Do they have an employee health office? Is there on-site care available in case someone experiences an injury or they're, right. having, they're suffering from heat exhaustion, things mm-hmm. like that? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think asking those questions is can open the door for advocating for this issue to a greater audience than people realize, especially now that, um, well, considering climate change, this past summer has been the hottest on record. Absolutely. And so environmental hazards like heat stress are gonna be, or heat strokes, heat exhaustion, like you were saying, Dr. Litter, about the migrant workers mm-hmm. and construction workers, that's gonna be more relevant than it was 50 years ago. Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, so I think just asking questions and wanting to know more, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is, I think that's a great way to start. And I think, like you said, that um, the younger generation was really, um, I think those the movements about racism mm-hmm. and environmental justice mm-hmm. and gun violence, they've been very successful. So I'm sure that once people get to know more about yeah. the climate change and it relates to occupational hazards, I'm sure we'll see the same product that we've seen so far. Yeah, well, that would be great. And we great to get all of you involved. I really liked your comment about education because I think that's so needed, right? And we could even educate more students in the College of Public Health. We could educate across USF and really across the country to yeah. know about these issues. Very good. So, Tom, any closing remarks? No, but I think Millennia brings out, let me, you know, it's, um, I think getting, the, there's a broader set of students who can get involved in occupational yes. health and safety from the um, health services research to the communications mm-hmm. to, to the uh, just having a basic understanding of uh, injury prevention and and uh, and understanding the, the rates and, and how to approach these problems. So I think they're really for public health, this is a, a for public health student involvement in occupational health, I think the opportunities are, are there and there. And the um, professionals of our generation could benefit from that broader view. I absolutely think so. And the Activist Lab is here on your side <laughs> for these <laughs> issues. 
And uh, we'll be glad to take any advocacy points forward and hope that the listeners will be interested as well to advocate for changes in this arena. Well, if there's no more remarks or questions, I want to thank you so much. On behalf of the USF College of Public Health Activist Lab, our wonderful guest, Dr. Tom Bernard, and our student co-host, Millennia, we thank you for joining us. And hey, keep listening. We have more podcasts in this series coming very soon. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback. Let us know how we did by emailing us at cophactivistlab at usf.edu. So until next time, this is Dr. Karen Liller. Remember, find your voice. Let's change it up for the better. Keep listening and join Advocation Change It Up. Tell your friends and family. We're on all media, Apple, Spotify, and more. So thank you again. And hey, as it gets safer to be out and about, come see us in the Activist Lab.